Welcome to Work Experience Podcast. My name is Braden French. This week, it's Bring Your Kids to Work Week. So I'm joined by my kids for a great episode. We're glad you're here. In the podcast studio this week, I've got both my children. They should be at school, but it's Melbourne Cup Day. So, Patrick, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello. How old are you, Patrick? One and a half. Wow. And what do you do? Uh, playing, going to preschool and doing excursions. Oh, wow. And Patrick's older sister is here with us as well. Do you want to say hello, Harper? Hi. How old are you? Seven. Wow. And we've got the day off because it's Melbourne Cup Day. So, kids, this podcast is normally about Daddy's work. Who thinks they know what Daddy does for work? Me. What What do you think Daddy does? I think he works for a church. Okay. What do you think, Patrick? I think uh, he goes to camps for work. Yeah, a lot of camps, right. That's pretty close. What do you think Daddy should do for work? A circus. Oh, in a circus. What part in a circus? Um, the person who organises it all. Oh, the ringmaster. This week we're joined by Stuart McMillan for a great chat. Stuart was the former president of the Uniting Church, a man with great stories and great faith, and can't wait uh, to connect with Stuart. But before we do that, a couple of housekeeping issues. On Monday night, we're launching our second WXP Live live-streamed podcast over at our Work Experience Facebook page. The first one was a great success, really fun, uh, but really helpful as well, I hope. And this week, I'm joined by my friends Liawana, Afadang, and Sam, and we're going to be exploring the issues around second-generation young people in the church. The church has been talking about this for probably 20 years, but what have we done? What have we learned? What are the opportunities before us? We're going to hear from three young leaders from across the life of our church, and I'm really excited. I hope you can join us for that. Now, last week, uh, our episode with Father Chris Bedding, a lot of positive feedback and new listeners, welcome to you all. But overwhelmingly, all the feedback was about the Atlantis Marine Park, the now abandoned theme park sitting just north of Perth. And friends, I hear that feedback. And we are currently working on finding an excuse to take the podcast on the road across to Perth for a live podcast from the abandoned Atlantis Marine Park. If you can help us out, maybe some of our WA listeners who might have a reason for us to come over, or if you can help fund the trip, that would be welcome too. Which reminds us, this episode has a sponsor, Cameron Shields. And we've got a special message for Cameron, don't we, kids? This episode is sponsored by Cookie Dough. That's right, mate. Cookie Dough will always get you a plug on this podcast, friends. Now, we're about to jump into Stu, but hang around at the end of our conversation. We're going to chat about what's coming up in the last few episodes of this season of Work Experience Podcast. And, of course, remind you of how you can get in touch. But for now, here's my dad talking to Big Mac. Friends, pretty excited about this week's guest on the podcast. Uh, we're joined by Stuart McMillan. Stu, do you want to say hello to everyone? Yeah, g'day, folks. It's good to be with you today, and uh, thanks, Braden, for the opportunity. Now, we are um, connecting. You're up uh, in Darwin, and I'm down here in Melbourne. So, 
thank you to the Liberal Party for the NBN um, to make this possible. No NBN here, mate. All right. Well, um, as long as you keep uh, turning the wheel, we should be fine. Okay. Uh, Stu, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So um, you know some of the stuff about me, but uh, some of the folks out there won't know. So I came up here in uh, 1982 uh, to work with the Synod. I uh, felt a strong sense of wanting to learn and grow alongside Indigenous people. When I came, I had a five-year-old and a three-year-old child and a wife. And uh, so it was a big move for us at that point in, uh, in our lives. But it's, it's been a, a fabulous move um, in terms of living and working with Indigenous people, but also just living and working in this part of uh, the country is, uh, has been marvellous. I can't remember quite what I was doing in 1982. Um, I think I was born in 84. So this hasn't been a recent thing. This is very much part of who you are. Do you have any hidden superpowers that we might not know of? Uh, not really. No, I'm, uh, I'm a pretty ordinary kind of guy. Uh, I don't tend to take off my, uh, my coat. Well, we don't wear coats up here, but I don't tend to take off my coat and get into a Superman suit. I think that uh, one, of the, one of the important things for me in this role that I've had up here and work alongside Indigenous people was when I finally, it finally dawned on me that I needed to learn language. So I worked for 12 of the years that I've been up here very closely with, uh, with Congress and with their community development arm. And in the first year of that, uh, and I'd been here 10 years at that stage, the first year of that, uh, my boss, the Reverend Dr. Jeanette Gondara, said to me, um, you and your colleague are going to have to earn your money, so find somewhere to earn your money because I've got no money to pay you. But three weeks out of every four weeks, I want you at Gullowinku Elko Island in Arnhem Land learning from two old men. Uh, and those two old men didn't speak English. So I had, to, I had to learn language fairly rapidly or sit on the ground for a year and learn nothing. So it was, um, it was, a, good, uh, it was a good experience to, uh, to have to uh, grow in my language abilities. Yeah, wow. So that's the superpower. It's not really my superpower. It's uh, the power of language uh, for all peoples. That's great. Um, now, we're going to get uh, a little true crime here at the moment uh, because it's the question everyone wants to know. When you stepped down as president of the Assembly, they took your hat. Uh, did you give that hat willingly or was it taken from you? Uh, no, I gave it willingly, um, although we kind of failed in the idea we had um, because of other things that were so much more serious going on at Assembly. So... Uh, the idea was that we would, uh, we would auction the hat uh, very publicly, um, but it kind of got auctioned very privately. And uh, so it was on eBay and um, there was a few bidders, but mostly they were bidders that knew that we were trying to raise some money for, uh, for North Queensland, for uh, Karama, who was uh, doing a... Uh, a bush chaplain's job up in North Queensland. And, and, you know, we got about 900 bucks for the hat, but we probably would have got a lot more if, uh, if we'd um, done it in the way we'd, uh, we'd intended, to, intended to do it. There was a nice little story about the hat, and I was uh, kind of hoping the story was uh, included uh, getting squashed in the luggage compartment of, uh, of Qantas Airlines fairly regularly. And 
I was hoping that Qantas might come to the party and uh, and put a bid in, but we didn't uh, we didn't do it so publicly. So yeah, I gave it up willingly. I've got it back again. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, this is a little inside story. Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, worry, uh, no one's listening. My no one's listening. My my dad, who was trying to ensure that people did bid for the hat, uh, put the highest bid in. He, he never intended to buy it. <laughs> and so uh, I have the hat. <laughs> he bought it fundraising for frontier services and said, you better wear it. I'm not going to wear it. So your old man essentially just made a donation to frontier services. That's right. Excellent. Well, I mean, because it it became iconic uh, with you in that role, uh, wherever you were in Australia and overseas, um, the hat was with you. So no, that was great. Um, Which I guess is a segue into. I did did get mistaken as an Orthodox uh, Jewish person, um, uh, on a number of occasions. Well, you know, the, you could do worse. You could do worse. You've served as uh, the president of the assembly for three years, uh, handing over uh, that role to Deidre. And Deidre's been on the podcast and we chatted. She doesn't have a presidential hat at the moment, but we're working on it. Uh, what are some of, I mean, we've heard, uh, members of the United Church will have heard um, some of your reflections. Um, but I guess what are one or two of the highlights or things that stand out to you from your time in that role? Look, I think that for me, the things that were absolutely special were the communities of people that I got to spend time with. So both uh, here in Australia and overseas, that was just such a joy. It was also something that kept me going uh, at times when I was physically exhausted Um I was spiritually uplifted by many of those communities that I got to spend time in. So our national conferences, the 12 national conferences of cultural diversity that we have within the church, uh, opportunities to be with our partners overseas, so in the Pacific, in Fiji and Tonga, in Indonesia with all of our Indonesian partners, uh, in the Middle East, with in uh, Lebanon, uh, visiting pretty much all of the heads of the Orthodox and Catholic and Protestant churches in uh, in uh, Lebanon. Those opportunities were were um, fabulous. Um, the ecumenical connections here in Australia, really, really wonderful. So that to me goes to the things that I had to say at the end of at the end of my time as president at the assembly meeting about relationship, and I used an Aboriginal word, ringi, uh, which is a word meaning the depth of relationship that, that you can't put a value on. So the relationship, Braden, that you have with your wife and kids, hmm. you, can't put a, you can't put a value on it. It's a, there's, there's an intrinsic value, a depth of, of value in that relationship. It's not like when you sell your car. You'll put a price on your car. You might be fortunate enough to get that price. You might not. But, you know, that's the value you put on your car. And there's a very different word in uh, the Aboriginal languages for that kind of value as against this deep relational, uh, invaluable relationship. And I think that within the Uniting Church, the more that we place value on relationships, the stronger we're going to get. So what I see when I see those communities that you've been uh, so much a part of in uh, National Young Adult Leaders or Aurora when we bring our, our, our youth and young adults together, I see the value that 
relationships then enable God to, through the Spirit, transform us. And that's that's been that's been invaluable to me. Uh, but also, I think it's it's uh, critical for us as a church. Yeah, great. I mean, we could I could happily just sit and listen to you uh, share about all those experiences, but our you know our audience will tune out. Well, maybe not. I, 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 we'll see. People can write in and tell me I cut you off too early. Um, we get more complaints than we do anything else. So, <laughs> but um, I think I could say a mutual friend. You would know. I, I assume he's Reverend Doctor Dean Drayton. Do you know Dean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dean, um, I got to know Dean's grandchildren um, in my home church up in Sydney and, um, and got to know Dean a little bit. And I remember him telling me once that the best part about being president of the assembly was becoming the former president of the assembly because you got all the power and influence but no responsibility. Would you say that's true? Are you enjoying this role now that you've, you know, everyone, you know, I think you held yourself exceptionally well and served the church in a really valuable and critical time. But now you've handed over the stole, but, I mean, you still you still have that trusted influence and, and role to play. Are you enjoying being the former president? Uh, there's a transition. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. It, Dean's right, that immediate responsibility of being the president goes. And so, uh, you know, I don't get as many uh, as many phone calls and as many things at all hours of the day and night as I might <laughs> before. But People, our audience can't see you, but you are smiling broadly saying that out loud. <laughs> but in another way, uh, like I'm still an assembly officer for another three years, so... The, the, the gig's a nine-year gig. You do yeah. three years as president-elect. So Sharon Hollis is in that three-year time now. You do three years as the president, and then you do three years as the immediate past president. So you're an assembly officer for nine. So you still carry, you still carry some of the responsibility. The other thing you said, Dean said, was about, you know, the responsibility goes, but you've got all the power and authority. I'm not sure I ever had any power and authority. <laughs> I said to the Royal Commission when we appeared before the Royal Commission that um, relational and moral authority was the only authority I had in the life of the church. Our church is a very different beast to many other to many other uh, denominations, and and really the president has a, a moral and a relational authority, but a very little authority. You know, the president doesn't even have um, the same rights that a moderator does in a synod to intervene in something if they think uh, if they think it's important to intervene. So the authorities relational and moral, I reckon. Well, I think you exercise those authorities really well. So you're um, the immediate ex-president, but you also are now working with the Assembly in the covenanting space. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And then, we, uh, you know, there's probably a couple of follow-up questions, but what is your role at the moment trying to resource the church? Uh, yeah, so I, I started... Um, as the consultant covenanting with the uh, Assembly Resource Unit in September, um, so I'm still working out what the role is. We haven't we haven't had anyone at the Assembly in a covenanting role for I don't know. I haven't worked it out. Maybe 15 years or more, at least. And so uh, various synods have um, different people doing particular things. Some synods have a director of mission or something that has a covenant responsibility. Some people have covenant officers, other synods um, don't have anything in place. But my role specifically has some 
has some responsibilities uh, for developing a covenant action plan for the assembly uh, so that we have a national uh, a national action plan and, and that we we uh, have as a foundation for that the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Um, that's something that we've uh, gained and learnt, uh, both Congress and ourselves, uh, the Assembly, through the contact with the United Church of Canada. Um, so some Congress people went uh, with the General Secretary, Assembly General Secretary to Canada last year, this time last year, and then the Canadians came uh, over to Australia in uh, in March of this year. So that's a that's a kind of a specific responsibility. But really, uh, at the moment, I'm just trying to walk alongside the initiatives that um, are taking place in different in different synods. So I was over in WA a couple of weeks ago, and along with the local Congress leaders, we delivered a uh, two-hour workshop to their Presbytery of Western Australia meeting uh, around covenanting and around sovereignty. Various parts of the church know something about covenanting. Uh, lots of other parts of the church don't have any idea about covenanting, um, let alone sovereignty. So there's a lot. Some of it is educational and and resourcing. Yeah, no, that's great. I caught up with uh, Uncle Ray Minikin in Adelaide couple of weeks ago and he was there speaking as part of a justice conference. He's another man with a cracker hat as well. And and he spoke about that the United Church in some ways is leading the Australian church in this area, but also that we have so far to go. So that there's some things that we've done that we should be rightly proud of. Um, the preamble to the constitution, the establishment of Congress, those sort of things, but that now's not the time to sit back and be like, oh, well, look at us, but actually we've got to build on those things. Uh, would you say that's a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I, I completely agree with what, what uh, Ray said. We certainly do. And we, we exercise, really, those things that we've done have offered moral leadership to the nation. Yeah. But we ought not to say that, that you know it's a done, it's a done deal. And I, I, don't, I don't hear anywhere around the country that view, but I do think that what we've been doing hasn't hasn't permeated out into congregational land. Even in our agencies, uh, nearly all of our agencies have got uh, reconciliation action plans, which kind of becomes part of the the accreditation for for many of the agencies and, and things that they need to do because they receive government funding. Um, so in one in some ways, they're they're ahead of us in some places. So. Really, the job is to ensure that on the ground we're living out the covenant as first and second peoples, that our uh, and that that we're doing that in life-giving ways. So I, I'm probably one uh, who doesn't favour programs in inverted commas yeah. as much as relationships. So in the in the West Australian workshop, we we ask people as a as a bit of an icebreaker. And there was there was a hundred odd people, so we had a number of table groups, and we said to them, "Look, talk to one another about one significant relationship you have with an Indigenous person." There was no Indigenous people in the room except the co-presenters with me, so the leadership of Congress. So talk to one another about a significant relationship, and you know, for some people, they don't have a significant relationship. So that's where it begins begins relationally at a ground level. Uh, I can identify with that. You know, 36 years ago, before I came here, 
I was in a part of Sydney. I did not have a relationship with an Aboriginal person. Uh, the church that I went to, the part of Sydney that I lived in, I just, I didn't experience that. But I didn't also, I didn't initiate anything. Yeah, and, and that's the touch point really. So that's where our actions reflect our values. And, and you know, it might not be relocating to Darwin. No. Can we be satisfied saying, well, I don't know anyone? I mean, I grew up um, and lived until earlier this year in Western Sydney. Uh, not a lot of Indigenous churches in Western Sydney, but it's got the highest concentration of Indigenous Australians out of anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, and I was often held accountable to that, saying, well, actually, yeah, is it enough to say, well, I just don't know, um, when we hold our relationship with First Peoples at such a high importance to who we are as a church. I think um, that challenge is definitely one we need to hold in front of ourselves again and again. And I think we're maturing in, uh, and, and Congress is certainly uh, not as anxious about the church or members of the church building relationships with Indigenous peoples in their place. So, so uh, you know New South Wales pretty well before you finished up in Vic Taz. Well, they kicked so, me out, yeah. I was down in my daughter's uh, and son-in-law's uh, presbytery in the Illawarra on the south south of uh, south of Sydney, and we were talking about uh, talking with uh, one of the one of the congregations in the Illawarra that has an op shop where the local Aboriginal community come in all the time when that op shop's open. So they're not con- they're not a Congress community but they're an Indigenous community that actually come to the church for, for, for that option. So there's an ideal opportunity yeah. to build some relationship and do something more than just flog the goods that you're selling in the op shop. Definitely. It's um, just got to lift our gaze sometimes. Um, yeah. It's similar. I mean, this is unrelated, but in my role, I get a number of elderly members of churches lamenting that there's no young people in their church, how they're going to pass on the faith, and yet they're... They themselves are grandparents. They meet kids at all different places in the community. But because it's not for that 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to shift and and recognise that actually we can exercise our ministry, build these relationships, have these transforming conversations wherever we find ourselves, rather than just this sort of packaged program like you were saying before. Um, Yeah. And sometimes it's just giving ourselves permission to be creative um, and to, to try. Uh, yeah. Stu, one last question. From your unique position, young people in the United Church, you know, sort of the focus of this little podcast project, what would you say to them? If you had a message, and I know you have, uh, you were always so generous with your time as president, and I'm sure that will continue. But what would you say to the audience now around our oh, two young people that, that do believe in this church, that do practice their discipleship at local congregations and want to get involved, what would you say to them um, about this church that they're ultimately going to inherit? Do you have any words of wisdom or advice? I said to the Assembly uh, this year that we have to invest in young people. I also said that um, that they have to be given a voice uh, in the same way as um, we talk about the voice for uh, Indigenous people in this country. Um, young people need to be given a voice. And by that, I mean we have to invite their, their views and their opinions. I want to say, so I want to say to the people that listen to this podcast, don't stop voicing your opinions. Uh, 
keep on knocking on the door. I think there's some scripture that says, you know, knock and seek and, you know, keep knocking. Uh, be um, like the woman that even wanted the scraps from under the table from, from Jesus or the woman that went to the judge until she got justice. You know, keep on challenging us. And when I say us, I mean the, the, the more senior members of the Uniting Church. Keep challenging us. I, uh, in my new role, I don't want to just develop a covenant action plan for the assembly and work with synods without the voice of young people speaking into that. Because as you say, it's, it's, it's their church. It's, it's your church, those of you that are listening. And so I value your views and your opinions and the kinds of things that we should, should build into that covenant action plan where we're in beginning a process of working out what what sovereignty means and what we, how we need to respond to that practically within the church. Um, and, and you ought to have something to say about that. And the connection points between that and climate change, which I know you've got something to say about, uh, are things that I want to hear from, from young people. So my encouragement is sometimes uh, I know that you feel like your voice is not being heard. Please, please be persistent. Please keep keep on. Please keep on because we, we need what you have to challenge us with. I would echo that. Some, sometimes we just have to persist. And um, if people have an unfortunate experience or, or don't feel heard, to, to try a different channel or to just shout louder um, or to find an advocate and an ally that might be able to help um, share that stage and share the microphone, as it were. I think that's the other thing that we're doing now as a church for for young people. I mean, there's a number of groups, uh, a number of ways that young people's voice can um, can be multiplied, if you like, so that it's not it's not just a lone voice. Uh, and and the kinds of things that uh, you're doing in Dick Taz, the kinds of things that Malk does up in Queensland and others around the country um, in, in terms of bringing people together, the kinds of groups that continue to connect with one another. So one of the great things for me, you, you know, you asked me earlier in this conversation about um, being president. One of the great things for me was the way in which I could continue to connect with young people no matter where I was or what I was in the midst of uh, through Facebook and through Facebook groups. Yeah. And I know Facebook's a thing of the past and people, you know, young people are using other, other well, technology. You've got Instagram, Big Mac. Yep. Yeah, I've got an Instagram, but <laughs> I, don't, oh, really, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, uh, that's been important to me. And I, I think... I think it was important to young people that I bothered to make contact at different times and that I responded to things that they might have been saying. I hope it was because I've, I valued it. And I think that those communities um, are also important communities. It's good to get together, um, but there's other ways we can support one another and, and I, think, uh, I think that's valuable too. Yeah, definitely. No, I think... Um we tried to find someone that had something bad to say about you, mate, but um, I obviously didn't try hard enough. Couldn't find anyone. Um, a final plug. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, we had Lindsay Cullen, who w- 
is a colleague of yours in the assembly on to talk about this new uh, circles way of working and i know you're involved in one um if if people head to uniting.church slash circles they'll find out about this whole new system but do you want to give a plug to the circle uh, and i guess the conversation that you're trying to resource the church in what's it called so my the circle that i advocate for is um uh, walking together as first and second peoples from the from the name of that circle it's fairly obvious what it's about it's about our destiny together we don't have enough let me say we don't have enough younger people that are part of that circle yet we don't have enough indigenous people that are part of that circle yet first peoples um, that's something that i would encourage uh, that i am encouraging both first people and younger people to participate in that circle it's a it's a great way of sharing information and contributing to uh, what we might de- be developing as a church. So today, for example, the 26th of uh, October is the 33rd anniversary of the handing over of Uluru Katajuda title deeds to the sovereign Yunkinjara and Pichinjara peoples of uh, Anugul people. Uh, last year, on this day, the Prime Minister and the government rejected the statement from the heart developed by First Peoples at Uluru. They replaced the lie of Terra Nullius with the lie of the third chamber. So today we commemorate a recognition of uh, coexistent sovereignty for those first peoples of Uluru and Katajuda. And today we weep because the government rejected the one petition for a voice. Mate, thank you for your time. I'm going to chuck some information on the Working Experience Facebook page around um, the walking together with first and second people's uh, circle and some of the great work the assembly is doing there uh, with the hope that we can help this as you were saying work its way down into congregations and and be part of the lived reality of of people um, and members of the united church and all churches to prevent it remaining a theoretical commitment but absolutely reality. absolutely and and i i saw the uh the post of you driving the bus uh, to uh, National Young Adult Leaders Conference lead in, yep. uh, in uh, Adelaide in January. Uh, Carissa and others that have been doing some of the planning for that, um, for those of you that are going to go to uh, lead in January, uh, there'll be uh, Sean Wietra, uh, young leader um, in South Australia, uh, will be running a session with, uh, with young people over there about... Uh, about land, about the spiritual connection with land, uh, about covenanting, about sovereignty, a whole range of stuff. And I'm hoping that that can feed into the national processes. So great uh, great opportunity for those people that are going to uh, lead in January. Yeah, great. And Sean's wisdom and story and his ability to tell stories is fantastic. That'll be great. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, It's been uh, really insightful. Again, shaping the conversation. I mean, we, it's hard to be, we can't be the church in Australia without recognising the land we meet on um, and, and that story um, and the history that we're, we've inherited and we continue to live in. So uh, thank you for sharing some of your experiences and, and your wisdom with us today. Um, and, and go well, mate. Uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Braden, and you too. Go well. Uh, God bless you and, uh, and your listeners. Thanks for that, Stuart. It really is a privilege 
anytime someone offers their time freely to be part of this project. So thanks again to Stu. Kids, that was pretty good, wasn't it? Now, while we were listening to Stu's recording, Harper suggested that she felt a little ripped off that Patty was doing all these voiceovers. So we're going to ask Harper a few more questions before we wrap up here. Harper, what do you think is really important in life? Making sure you can be with your family. Oh, good answer. And what do you like doing when you're with your family? Um, going on adventures and going to the zoo. Wow. What's your favourite part of the zoo? Um, when you can go on the safari. Yeah, cool. Now, your daddy works a lot, and this podcast is part of that work. Can you believe that? It's just him talking to no one, and he gets to do it for work. Now, if you could say something about Daddy's work to all of the people listening, is there anything you'd like to say? I think it's good that Daddy gets to have a job and he earns money. Does Daddy work too much or not enough? Enough. Just enough? That's what I think too. That's not what Mummy thinks though. No. No. And finally, last question... When you grow up, what job are you going to have? I don't know which ones, but I'm, I want lots of different jobs. A zookeeper, a vet, and a horse rider. That sounds fun. Do you think you could do them all at the same time? No. Thanks, Harper, for joining us on the podcast. Have you had fun? Yes. And I hope you at home have had fun as well. Next week, we're going to try our first co-hosting experiment. So something to look forward to that. And the following week, we've got a special guest all the way from Los Angeles. I can't wait for you to hear from Sarah Heath, our guest, in a couple of weeks. Don't forget about WXP Live on Monday night, November the 12th. That'll be over at our Facebook page, at Work Experience Podcast. And that's where you can get in touch. Check out our website workxpc.com send us an email workexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or send us a carrier pigeon we don't mind we'd love to hear from you and now all that's left to do is for Harper to say goodbye make sure you join us next week